Welcome back to Scriptures with Mom and Terry. I'm your mom, Linda Weiniger, and this week we're going to be reading 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and then Jude. Now, remember, we might break this up because it could be several pages of study, and you know how I like to break things up a little bit sometimes if it seems like it's taking a long time. Um, second of all, I had to restart this recording because it was a little bit, a little bit choppy, a little bit... Um, or not choppy, a little bit noisy with the treadmill. And somehow my headphones didn't quite block the noise out, so that's why we're doing it again. Hopefully it's better. Okay. Um, Weekly teaching tip is getting excited for the Book of Mormon. Now, there are seven ideas that Redheaded Hostess gives us, but one idea that I just did was I ordered two sets of different scripture um, companion books for the kids to be able to follow along um, and help them with their scripture study. One from Redheaded Hostess because we love their we love her stuff, and then we also love Sister Kristen Walker Smith because she can teach people in like quick, short ways. So, um, anyways, wanted to let the boys pick out which ones they prefer, and so that's why we ordered two sets and we'll just return the ones that we don't want um okay and then because um we're going to be reading the book of mormon next year i think it's super fun to um be able to finally focus more on the book of mormon usually when i'm reading the bible i believe that there's power in the book of mormon so i end up reading the book of mormon also and but i don't really get to dive into the book of mormon the way that we dive into the new testament because of the fact that i don't have that much time in the day anyway and so i'm gonna love being able to just dive into the book of mormon this coming year so seven things that we think that it will be that will help us get excited for the book of mormon would be one count how many days there are between now and january 1st make a paper chain with one link for each day and then remove one each day and so that would be kind of fun to kind of get us excited about it Two, watch some of the new book of mormon videos as a family three talk about the power of the book of mormon with your family here's a good quote from elder legrand r curtis jr there is a power in the book which will be given to flow into your life, which will begin to flow into your lives the moment you begin a serious study of the book. You will find greater power to resist temptation. You will find the power to avoid deception. You will find the power to stay on the straight and narrow path, end quote. Isn't that great? October 2016, General Conference. Why would you not want to read the Book of Mormon with promises like that? Okay, um, four, pray for inspiration on how you can best study and teach the Book of Mormon next year. Write down the impressions you receive and act upon them. I love that. Um, what, one of those things is how am I going to get our kids to be able to really dive in and get to know the Book of Mormon and have a testimony of the Book of Mormon. So I think, I think that will be a really awesome, awesome experience, really awesome thing. Um, number five, share my excitement to study the Book of Mormon on social media. Ooh, yes. You know, I love that. Six, show your family some of the art in the gospel library. See what stories they recognize. Ask them which stories they're excited to learn about. That's fun. 
and then seven bear your testimony often of the book of mormon Whew. yes that'll that's a good reminder so now i know what i need to testify of during fast and testimony meeting on sunday coming up because that will be fantastic okay um so first second and third john um who was john okay so who's the writer of john so it says the writer of these epistles never identified himself by name which was the habit of john the beloved in all of his writings john the beloved is the same john who wrote the gospel according to saint john as well as the revelation of saint john the divine more commonly known as the book of revelation john was one of the chosen three being peter james and john that were not only some of the original 12 apostles but also accompanied jesus to special events such as the mount of transfiguration and would constitute the first presidency after the resurrection of jesus christ when did john write his epistles it is not clear when exactly john wrote these epistles but it is generally believed that they were written after uh, ad 70. this means this is after the fire in rome the extreme persecution of christians and the death of peter and paul so that's a little bit sad but also it makes sense because if they did it if he wrote it after the fire then these wouldn't have been ruined in the fire right but maybe that was the point of him writing these things because he knew a lot of things had been ruined in the fire interesting okay who was jude okay maybe we'll write uh maybe we'll read who jude was before we actually get into jude because sometimes we'll read stuff and then okay and then some things that we're going to be reading in john how to find fellowship with god abide in the light love not the world antichrists in the last days love one another god is love who is born of god belief in christ is required to gain eternal life warning concerning those who teach false doctrine okay so you know what yeah we we are going to separate uh first second third john from jude because that way we'll at least get a smaller portion so we'll save jude for the next one okay first john chapter one here we are all right there's a joseph smith translation here so let's see if i can read it right because sometimes the redheaded hostess they try to put the translation there with it but sometimes that doesn't make sense but we'll see if I can read it correctly and it makes sense. Brethren, this is the testimony which we give of that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled of the word of life. So the word of life is Jesus Christ, right? Because he's the word. For the life was manifested and we have seen it and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life, which was with the father and was manifested unto us that which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye may also or that ye also may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the father and with his son jesus christ and all things all these things write we unto you that your joy may be full oh i like that okay so john opens his epistle with his personal witness of jesus christ he was an eyewitness he had received many undeniable evidences there were false teachers among the church that were teaching that Christ, that jesus christ did not have a physical body he only came to earth and appeared as a physical being 
John explains that he has heard, seen, and felt Jesus Christ, and that through him, the whole plan of salvation is manifested, which is for us to gain eternal life, which includes a glorified, perfected body. You cannot teach otherwise and have fellowship with the brethren or with the Godhead. The purpose of the whole plan of salvation crumbles when the truth of God or Jesus Christ is changed so that they are not resurrected beings. The truth of who you are and what you can become is now obscured. So the promise of eternal life is now hidden from you. Therefore, John declares that the, that he is writing to correct these falsehoods, that your joy may be full. Okay. That's true. The whole purpose of the plan of salvation does crumble when the truth of God or Jesus Christ is changed. Okay. Then we're going to read from 5 to 10. That this, then, is the message which we have heard of him. And declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Oh, there's a song about that. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth, uh, cleanseth us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Okay, so I'm breaking these down. So John then describes what will keep us from having fellowship with Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ. And he makes three points. First, in verse 5, John explains that no darkness exists in God. So if we walk in darkness, it will separate us from him. Someone cannot walk in darkness and say that they have fellowship with God. Fellowship means that to be made a partner or to be a partaker of. So one cannot partake of all that God has and walk with him. If they walk in darkness, it's impossible. And by walking in darkness, I think what they mean is like, we're, I feel like we're always walking in the dark, right? But we can't bring the light with us if we don't choose to bring God with us in that darkness. And it's impossible for us to have light without Jesus Christ. And so it like saying that you walk in darkness is almost like saying, saying impossible things. Cause when it is pitch dark, do you actually walk? Do you actually progress at all on that path? I mean, have you ever been in the Timpanogos cave, remember when they turn off all the lights and you just like, you cannot, like you can't see. And so like, how do you even walk? It's like literally impossible to walk because you're not sure of where you can walk, but you know for sure that you are on steady ground when you're not moving because you haven't moved, right? And so I, I kind of like that, that, that visual. Okay. Um, Brigham Young explained it this way to walk in darkness. He says, quote, in short, if a man shall do anything which he knows to be wrong and repenteth not, he cannot enjoy the Holy Spirit, but will walk in darkness, end quote. And it's true. You can't enjoy the light and you can't enjoy with your surroundings. You can't enjoy anything. And you certainly can't enjoy the Holy Ghost if you're going to stay in the darkness. 
but even the smallest light helps here. So sometimes we get overwhelmed by thinking, oh, we have to do all these things to bring in the light, but it's very small things that we need to do to bring in the light. In that pitch darkness, we could turn on our phone light and it would be enough to illuminate far enough for us to um, go and walk and progress and, and keep going, right? Luckily, we, with Jesus Christ, we have more than just a cell phone light. Okay, second, this was verse seven. Walking in the light brings fellowship one with another and allows us to be cleansed by the atonement of Jesus Christ. So light is what allows us to see things as they really are. So if we walk in the light, that means we are seeking things as they really are, which lead, will lead us to Jesus Christ and his atonement. Other things do not overshadow him and his power in our lives. He becomes the center of everything because we can see and we understand. And when we walk in the light and it brings that fellowship one with another, we're allowed to, we're able to see other people in that darkness because of that, because of his light. And we can help others on their way, depending on if they're able to have that light or not. And sometimes they don't have the light that we have. And it's great to have them walk with us because then we can share our light of Jesus Christ with them. And it allows them to see and, and keep going. Okay, third, verses 8 to 10. Another part of walking in the light includes us being able to recognize our fallen natures. Okay, you guys know how I've talked about the closer you get to light or the closer or the brighter the light becomes or the whiter the light becomes, the more dust you can see in the room. Um, it was kind of when we were cleaning or when we were switching bulbs, not when we were cleaning, when we were switching bulbs because I was wanting more of a bright white light. It was super bright compared to the light that we had put in before the old bulb. And now all of a sudden we could see new things that we needed to clean. And it was so sad, but also amazing at the same time, because it's sad that it requires more work for us, right? That we could see that light, but then it's exciting because we can see better, right? And so it's kind of like, like that, where as we continue to get closer to Jesus Christ, we're able to see better ourselves. Um, even if sometimes that means we see some of the things we need to change in our own lives to become better. Um, uh, let's see, it ha we have a quote right here. It says, quote, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So that was verse eight. Or in other words, we are walking in darkness. Part of having fellowship with God is recognizing that we need him to overcome our fallen selves. We are all mortal and fallen. Therefore, we must confess our sins or see them as God sees them and be willing to identify them and turn to God for help. Then God will forgive and cleanse us. This is how we have fellowship with him. This is a true partnership. We are partaking of what God can offer us. Notice that John doesn't say that we have fellowship with God by never sinning. That is not mortality. We all will sin. The fellowship comes when we want to overcome the natural man, and we are willing to do that. Um, the man that, say, that says he does not sin, either because he does not recognize sin or does not admit that he sins, cannot have his fellowship, cannot have this fellowship, and his word is not in us, meaning that he cannot have Jesus in him, and that's because he's too stubborn, 
right? We need to be humble in order to see that those things that we need to change. Like, yeah, we could easily have ignored the fact that we need to change those things um, in our in our home when we saw when we had the brighter light. But isn't it so much better if we just clean it? And then it's like super nice. Speaking of which, we do need to do some sweeping upstairs. Um, uh, I was able to read a quote from Elder David A. Bednar about prayer and about change. So I'm going to see if I can pull it up right here because I, I did bookmark it as one of our saved items because I thought this would be really good if we can read the, if I can read this quote. Okay, and it says, most of your answers won't be what you want when you want. People pray and it's like they are shopping in the store. Heavenly Father, I need this and this and this and this and deliver it by this time. And if you don't get this and this and this and this by the right time, then God wasn't listening to my prayers. Yes, he was. You are not listening to the answers. Don't expect him to just provide a delivery service. You don't pray to tell God what you want or what you need. You pray to find out what God wants for you. Big difference. That will change the way you pray forever. And many times what he wants for us, because it, evol it involves change in what we are and what we do, is not something we readily want to hear or accept. That's one of the ways we know it is coming from heaven. If all your answers are exactly what you want, you're giving yourself some of those answers. He's not interested in making our lives hard. To become what we are destined to become as his sons and daughters doesn't come by staying the same, and it doesn't come by not having to deal with some demanding and difficult things, end quote. And he shared that um, in the Enzyme College devotional, and that's Elder David A. Bednar, called Living in Revelation, January 2023. And I thought that was amazing um, because it kind of lines up with this, you know, we, if we want to change, we need to get closer to the light so that we can see what things we need to change. Otherwise, in the dark, we don't see that we need to change anything. We stay the same because we're so scared of moving forward because we're going to be so afraid of making one of those mistakes or something and falling into a deep pit. Okay, um, now we have First John chapter 2. My little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So propitiation means the act of regaining favor. And hereby, we, we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word in him, verily, is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. He that saith, he abideth in him, ought himself also so to walk, even as he walked. Okay. So... That's one through six. We have some comments there. So the principle is the gospel changes you and brings you to know God. The reason God, John is writing 
this epistle is so that the saints will desire fellowship with God more than they desire sin. The hereby in verse 3 is telling us this is how we know God, by keeping his commandments. This is the power of the gospel. As we, as we live it, we are changed. In him, meaning in us, is the love of God perfected. Living the gospel is not a checklist. We are meant to keep but it is a method of change. It is the kind of change that enables us to walk even as he walked. Mm. Living the gospel is not a checklist <clears throat> that we are meant to keep, but it is a method of change. So living the gospel is a method of change that enables us to walk even as he walked. I like that. Okay, verse seven. Brethren, oh, this is also a Genesis my translation. Brethren, I write, a new commandment unto you, but it is the same commandment which ye had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which ye have heard from the beginning. And again, a new commandment I write unto you, which thing was of old ordained of God is true in him and in you because the darkness is past and the true light now shineth. He that saith he is in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. So, he has not just found the light, he lives in the light. And when you live in the light, you actually do love your neighbors, like he has asked, right? It's the power of charity. Okay, hold on. Okay, it looks like Flora needs me. Okay, so we are reading the commentary now on what I just read from John, 1 John chapter 2, verse seven, verses 7 to 11. In verse John 6, John had just instructed us to walk as Jesus walked. And in verse 7, he is telling us that this is not a new commandment. Then he goes on to talk about the brotherly love we should have for one another. We cannot say, verse 9, that you are in the light or have fellowship with God and Christ, if you have hate in your heart for others. Oh, that's so true. Right? One that loveth his brother abideth in the light. Not only is he in the light, but abide, he abides and lives there. It is where he belongs. And there is none occasion of stumbling in him. This can be read a few ways, and each of them shows how powerful charity is. Here's a few ways that we can phrase this or how this can be read. One, he will not stumble. His love for others keeps him from falling into sin. He will not covet because he is full of love for that person who has what he might desire. And he loves that person as he loves himself. He would not fall into sexual transgression because the other party would be harmed. He will not lie because he would not want to deceive another person. Two, he will not cause others to stumble for the same reasons he would not fall into sin. He would never do anything to cause someone else to stumble. He would never suggest or encourage anything that would cause spiritual harm. And then three, because he is in the light, he can see possible stumbling blocks and can therefore avoid them. Verses 11, verse 11 teaches the opposite of verse 10. If a man hates his brother, he is not and cannot be in the light, but it is in, but is in darkness. And in that darkness, there are all types of stumbling. Why? We're going to go to that Timpanogos cave analogy again. If you're in the dark and you're trying to walk around and you're trying to believe the false people that don't have the light with them, 
then you're going to stumble. You're going to fall. You're going to trip. You're going to get into the hole that you were trying to avoid, right? Because our instinct is to stay where we are when it's pitch black and we can't see. But then when people try to help us, they're like, come with us, come with me, come, you know, and you feel like you can trust them, but then you end up actually stumbling instead. Okay, President Howard W. Hunter says, the logic of this is simple, clear, and unequivocal. The proof of love of God is love of one one's brother. This becomes the fun fundamental commandment of Christianity. This was the religion taught by the master. How happy would society be were these two plain rational precepts properly observed? Love me and love thy fellows. End quote. President Howard W. Hunter, Church News, September 23rd, 1975. Okay. Okay, so we're going to leave off on page 2, 1 John chapter 2, verse 11. But he that hateth his brother is in darkness Ooh. and walketh in darkness and knoweth not whither he goeth because that darkness has darkness hath blinded his eyes Ooh, yep and he's going to stumble often remember 12 i write unto you little children because your sins are forgiven for you wait i write unto you little children because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake i write unto you fathers because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you young men, because ye have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you little children, because ye have known the Father. I have written unto you fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I have written unto you young men, because ye are strong, and the word of God abideth in you, and ye have overcome the wicked one. I love those, like, affirmations. Those are good affirmations, right? Telling us that the ch the little children are the, are their sins are forgiven because they're so hard on themselves sometimes, and then the fathers, because it's true, we have known him. That's from the beginning, and we can't deny that we know him. And sometimes when we try to deny that we've known him, it does not work out well for us. And then unto the young men because they have overcome the wicked one. They don't know. I think our youth have no idea how strong they are. And I love it whenever um, we speak positively of them because they are so strong. You know, they go through so much, yet they are so strong. Okay, verse 15. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of, the, of God abideth forever. So things in this world are temporary, but the will of God is forever because he's an eternal being. And so... If we can keep our eyes focused on the will of God and doing those things that will bring us closer to him instead of bring us closer to our stuff, then we will be better off for it. And, and we, if we can trust in God more, then 
as those things come and go in our lives, it won't matter because our trust is in God. Okay, and then we have a quote here. It says, John specifies some different groups within the church and tells them to love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Elder Neil Anderson echoed John's teachings when he said, quote, overcoming the world is not one defining moment in a lifetime, but a lifetime of moments that, are, that define an eternity. Those overcoming the world know that they will be accountable to their heavenly father. Sincerely changing and repenting of sins is no longer restraining, but liberating as sins of scarlet become white as snow. Overcoming the world is not a global invasion, but a private personal battle requiring hand-to-hand combat with our own internal foes, end quote. Oof, love it. And that's Elder Neil L. Anderson, April 2017 General Conference. And what comes to mind when you hear that we have private personal battles requiring hand-to-hand combat with our own internal foes? Oof. It's just like Satan, the worst, you know? And so, to me, anyways, and it's interesting because he says hand-to-hand combat. So, how can we help each other in this combat that we have with our internal foes? If it's so one-to-one, right? One-on-one, or maybe, he didn't say one-on-one, he said hand-to-hand. So, like... Maybe there's a bunch of people or a bunch of spirits trying to fight us and hold us down. But how can we get help in this world to help us with our internal foes, right? And how can we allow, how can we not allow those foes to be internalized? And I think that um, we need to start with the connecting with Christ and then remembering who we are, reciting those affirmations to shield us from some of those um, foes that are trying to get us to internalize the things that they are shouting at us. Okay. Verse 18, little children, it is the last time, it is the last time as ye have heard that Antichrist shall come. Even now are there many antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. So antichrists are like people against Christ or opponents of Christ. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would not doubt, have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest, that they were not all of us. But ye have an... You, you have an unction, meaning an anointing, from the Holy One, and ye know all things. I have not written unto you because ye know not the truth, but because ye know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. Whosoever denieth the Son... The same hath not the Father, but he that acknowledgeth the Son hath the Father also. Let that, therefore, abide in you which ye have heard from the beginning. If that which ye have heard from the beginning 
shall remain in you. Ye also shall continue in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he hath promised us, even eternal life. These things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you, the false teachers, right? But the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you, and ye need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointingeth teacheth you of all things and is truth and is no lie. And even as it hath taught you, you ye shall abide in him. And and so the anointing is like the Holy Ghost, right? Because we've gotten the Holy Ghost. We received the Holy Ghost when we were baptized. And now little children abide in him that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If ye know that he is righteous, ye know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. Ooh, I love that. If we're righteous, if we're trying, we are born of him. We are born of, of God. We are holy, right? If we're trying to do holy things, if we're trying to choose the right, we are doing a good job. I love that. <clears throat> Part, so... Redditose says, part of being in the world involves dealing with opponents of Jesus Christ, who can also be called Antichrist. The best weapon we have against these Antichrists is the gift of the Holy Ghost, who will reveal the truth to us. Twice John refers to the to an anointing. In verse 20, he calls it an, an unction. And in verse 27, he calls it the anointing. An anointing is done with when oil is poured during a sacred ordinance. Elder Bruce R. McConkie explained, this unction, the holy anointing, is the gift of the Holy Ghost, which gives them access to the infinite wisdom of the Father and the Son, so that they may know all things as fast as they are able to bear them. Ooh, I like that, end quote. John is referring to their ability to hear and receive truth rather than being deceived by those that seek to seduce them. They should rely on the gift of the Holy Ghost more than on clever or convincing words from those who seek to pull them away from Christ. This anointing, the gift of the Holy Ghost, will abide in them and teach them all things. Considering the Antichrist, anything that will pull us away from Christ and his purposes in these last days, remember what President Russell M. Nelson taught in 2018. Quote, our Savior and Redeemer, Jesus Christ, will perform some of his mightiest works between now and when he comes again. We will see miraculous indications that God the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ, preside over this church in majesty and glory. But in coming days, it will not be possible to survive spiritually without the guiding, directing, comforting, and constant influence of the Holy Ghost. My beloved brothers and sisters, I plead with you to increase your spiritual capacity to receive revelation. End quote. Again, President Russell M. Nelson, April 2018, General Conference. In verses 28 and 29, John invites them to abide in him. Okay, so before we get to that, I did want to say, I read this um, thing from Kristen Walker-Smith, and I thought it was really interesting. And she said that there's top three reasons that people leave the church. Now, this is the LDS Church, or the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And parents can actually do something about it. 
And so she says that one study gives three top reasons, okay? One, lost faith in Joseph Smith. Two, studied church history and lost belief. Three, ceased to believe in church doctrine. And then a very close fourth was lost faith in the Book of Mormon. So she kind of challenges this and says she doesn't know for sure, but that the list boils down to the fourth reason, not believing in the Book of Mormon, because we have been um, admonished, counseled, directed, commanded to read the Book of Mormon every day, every day, every day, every day. Remember Elder Johnson? And why is that? Because it is so powerful to help us in our lives and convert us to Jesus Christ. And if we can help our kids grow a rock solid testimony of the book of the Book of Mormon, then that's going to trickle down into all the other areas of the testimony struggle, right? Because if the more if the Book of Mormon is true, then Joseph Smith is a prophet. Then church history is true, and questions about church church history and maybe just human faults and humanness are forgivable or figure outable, right? And that's probably why it's just so important for us to read the Book of Mormon. And sadly, you know, we don't do a great, fantastic job of reading it all together as a family, although we have that goal to read it every day in the morning, just with the illnesses that we've had and the laziness that's been going around. Um, we haven't gotten to do that as much as we, we would hoped and that we planned, but we plan to continue to try and that's the best we're going to continue to do. We need to try, try, try. Um, and I think it's so important, even though we're reading, you know, come follow me, we need to make time to, to read the book of Mormon. It's so important. Um, and she said that she referenced, she, the study reference is from a source that's not supportive of the church. And so she wasn't going to give like the quote, like she wasn't going to cite the account um, or the, the research per se, because um, she's trying to build faith and not trying to get people to click on all kinds of other places and send people to that website. So um, I thought that was so interesting. And then a bunch of the comments that are posted all pretty much agree exactly with what she said um, and how it is the Book of Mormon that we need to help our children come unto Christ through the Book of Mormon because the Book of Mormon testifies of Jesus Christ. And that's why when missionaries go and teach, their first challenge is to read the Book of Mormon, right? Conversion doesn't happen without that first step. So anyway, I thought it was really cool. Um, and really, I mean, it's really sad, but it's really neat to see. And then in verses 28 and 29, John invites them to abide in him or to abide in Christ and his gospel. As they do so, they will change and become more and more Christ-like. And then they will not be ashamed before his coming. Or, as Moroni put it, that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is, that we may have his this hope that we may be purified even as he is pure. And that's in Moroni 7, 48, chapter 7, verse 48. Okay, so now we're on 1 John chapter 3. What manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, 
that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore, the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we with the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Oh, that was fun, because that was in Moroni that we just read. <laughs> Moroni, remember what chapter it was? 7, verse 48. And every man that hath this hope in him purified himself, even as he is pure. Okay, so we can be like Christ. Isn't that an amazing, like, hope? Right, because that's what we all seek to do, that we're all seeking to be. Um, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. That we can become like Christ. The phrase, what manner of, expresses amazement that this great gift can be given to us. It is interesting that John uses the title Father when referring to God here. Because that is what this is all about. His children becoming like him. But the world will not recognize these Christ-like qualities forming in you as you walk in the light. If the world did not see him for who he was, they will not value those who are seeking to become like him. That makes sense, right? Verse 1 speaks of the present as we become like Christ, and verse 2 speaks of the future and our ability to be like him. This is the gospel. This is the good news. We can be like him. We can be purified even as he is pure. President Russell M. Nelson says, quote, Our climb up the path to perfection is aided by encouragement from the scriptures. They hold the promise that we shall, if faithful in all things, become like deity, end quote. October 1995, General Conference. Verse 4, whosoever committed sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. So that's what sin is, transgression of the law. And transgression is like, in my own words, I would say not being perfect at keeping commandments. Okay. Now, if you look in the uh, topics or topical guide or whatever in the Gospel Library app, it says that transgression is a violation or breaking of a commandment or law and also sin, right? But I think sometimes it seems really big when we look at it like that, but it's really just not being perfect at keeping commandments, right? Because we're gonna break commandments all the time because we're human and we're not perfect and we don't understand things sometimes all the way. <laughs> um, so it's funny because there's, so right now we're, I'm getting ready to sell um, some things at this Battle Creek Boutique in West Jordan. And I was looking at things I could sell and some things I was looking at selling were gift tags. And some of the gift tags are like sarcastic gift tags, right? And I decided I'm going with toilet paper gift tags because they're super funny. But the gift tags that, some of the gift tags that I was looking at said something like, Santa, or dear Santa, I can explain, or something like that, you know? And then there's like another one that has like, dear Santa, that there's like a checklist, like naughty, nice, or I tried, right? And I think sometimes it's not just black and white, like naughty or nice, or I sinned and I'm, or I'm perfect, right? There's like, the gospel is for those who are trying to be like Jesus, right? Like that's what the song says. I'm trying to be like Jesus. It's not, I am Jesus or, but it's, it's the process of trying 
and I know people that like, uh, who is it? Yoda. It's like, do you do or do not? There is no try, but there, it, there really is try. And yeah, sometimes we hit that mark and we're like, yes, we did it. And then sometimes we fail to hit that mark. And instead of beating ourselves up for it, we can just repent and continue to shoot for that mark, continue to strive for that perfection and striving to be like Jesus Christ is always a good thing versus not striving. Sometimes we think, oh, well, if I don't, if, if I just don't make any lofty goals, then I won't be sad about uh, not reaching them. Yeah. But if you don't make lofty goals, you won't even get close. And if you don't make lofty goals, you won't even have like a purpose. You won't have something to look forward to. You won't have something that's making you stretch, right? That's why they're, that's why they're lofty goals. That's why they're big goals. That's why it's not, it's not supposed to be easy. It's supposed to change you. It's supposed to transform you. Anyways. Okay. So it says, whosoever committeth sin transgresseth." Oh wait, I already read that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Verse five. And ye know that he was manifested to take away our sins and in him is no sin. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever continueth, wait, whosoever hath not seen him, neither know him. Or wait, let me see. Hold on. There's a Joseph Smith translation. Let me reread that. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever continueth in hath not seen him, neither know him. Or, oh, continueth in sin. Oh, okay. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever continueth in sin hath not seen him, neither know him. And that makes, that makes a difference because when... When we do abide in him, we don't have that desire to sin. But then if we don't know him, how do we have that desire? So we're going to continue to sin because we still don't know. We still don't know him. And so sometimes it's not a matter of um, chastising people about how they did something wrong. But it's more like, how are we not coming? We need to get closer to Christ. Like, Like, you need to be able to recognize this on your own. And so get closer to Christ to make these choices, right? Because as we get closer to Christ, we make those good choices because we want to have that closeness with him. Okay, seven, little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. He that continueth in sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Now, just because somebody is continuing in sin and is of the devil, or I would say like, it seems kind of harsh, right? But you could say is listening to the devil um, or falling for the devil's tricks. I like to separate Satan from people because he doesn't have a body. Satan doesn't have a body. He is a spirit. And so (laughs) when we put it all together, if you start talking about so-and-sos from the devil, that's, they're not from the devil. They're a child of God making bad choices because Satan has convinced them to make those bad choices. It helps you understand that they are a person also, just like us, and they're not perfect. And it helps us to have that extra compassion for them because it's like, well, what can we do to help them on this path, right, to choosing the right? For So, Sorry, uh, <laughs> I kind of added my own stuff in there. So, K 
Okay, now verse 9. Whosoever is born of God doth not continue in sin, for the Spirit of God remaineth in him, and he continue in he cannot continue in sin because he is born of God. It's like what I just said. When you're choosing the right, when you know God, you want to continue to listen to the Spirit, continue to stay close to him. And when you don't, and you're falling for those tricks that Satan has set out for us, those traps, then we will continue to sin. And really, the, it's one. It's not like 10 steps. There's not like this repentance process of like, first we need to go through the R, and then we need to go through the E, and then we need to go through the P. Like, sometimes we make, in, in order to help us remember things um, and processes and uh steps we try to make things a little bit more remembering like make i don't know what is it like make an acronym of things or like you know obviously the framework the crush framework is an acronym so but sometimes we make things more complicated like i think we made the repentance process more complicated than it needs to be right like literally you can repent from one second to the next you could choose to make a choice or you can make a choice to not do something and continue to do it because the lord can help us and yeah you're not like fully like over it or whatever but you can make that choice to stop whatever it is that you're doing and continue in righteousness for that specific um thing that you're struggling with for example and yes it is a process but no, you don't have to, like, drag it out longer than it needs to. You just ask Christ to help you with it. And bam, you're already in the process of that repentance. And you're on the straight and narrow path again, right? Sometimes we think that we are steering so far from the straight and narrow path that we need to, like, you know, that we can't make that change. But the only thing that we need to do is remember, hey, there's that path is over there. We just need to turn back and go towards that path. And then we're back on, right? It's like we're back on track. And so, yeah, even though we're not maybe back on that exact path or holding onto the rod immediately, we're, we're going towards the rod and that's good. And that's good. And that's what Christ can help us with. And then that's where the rest of us can come in and help those people or help each other out when we need that help. Okay, anyways, I kind of went, went off on this thing. Okay, in this, the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil, whosoever doeth not righteousness, is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. For this is the message that ye heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother, and wherefore slew him, because his own works were evil, and his brother's righteous, and his brother's righteous. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. Mm, that's a good one. You're going to have haters. Why? Because Christ had haters. And if we're trying to be like Christ, then we're going to have haters. So we know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. And ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Hereby perceive we the love of god because he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren 
But whoso hath his world's good and seeth his brother have need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And hereby we know that we are the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Okay. So we're just going to... Okay, so there's... Um, verse 4 explains what can, constitutes a sin. God is eternal. And when we do something contrary to those laws, or God has eternal laws. Sorry. Sorry, no, I missed that. Um, and when we do something contrary to those laws, it is a sin. That's actually a sin. Cecil B. DeMille produced over 70 films, including the Ten Commandments. He was asked, oh, on May 31st, 1957, he was asked to give the commencement address at the BYU, and President David O. McKay introduced him. In that address, Cecil D. DeMille, B. DeMille said this, quote, We cannot break the Ten Commandments. We can only break ourselves against them or else by keeping them rise through them to the fullness of freedom under God, end quote. Ooh, that's a good one. So eternal laws are untouchable. They will not be altered. So technically we can't break them, but we can break ourselves by not living in accordance to them. For example, if you or I ignore the law of gravity, gravity will still exist, but we will get hurt. So it is with eternal laws are the same. Therefore, God gave it a label when we break these laws. It is called sin. Christ never broke these eternal laws. Therefore, in him is no sin. And he can take away our sins or the effects of breaking ourselves against these eternal laws because he can heal us. He can heal us from ourselves, right? John teaches that the best way to not sin is to abide or remain in Christ. This does not mean that they never sin, but that they do not live a sinful life. This is what baptism signifies, that they have buried the sinful life and have been born again. On the other hand, a man who continues to in sin or lives a sinful life is of the devil, meaning they are of him or from him, or ultimately they serve him. On the other hand, the righteous man is born of God and he does not continue in sin. One of the sins that will separate us from God is not loving one another. This is the message that has been repeated from the beginning. Cain slayed his brother because Abel's works were more righteous than his own. This is how wickedness is. They will hate you because you live the gospel. Therefore, marvel not if the world hate you. Then John declares that everyone who hates his brother is a murderer and murders cannot receive eternal life. In response to verse 15, Bruce Armacon, Elder Bruce Armacon, said, How strong is this doctrine? In the eternal perspective, those who hate their fellow men are murderers whether they shed blood in the literal sense or not, end quote. Oof, that's true. If we are to love one another, it cannot be in just words, but must be in deeds. If we see someone in need and do not help them, how are we loving God, right? We cannot just declare that we are full of love, but our works must prove it. For ultimately our hearts will reveal us and God will know, for he knoweth all things. Something that was pretty cute, pretty neat. Yesterday, um, I was taking Faust to school and didn't take Finn because Finn was sick. And anyways, Faust said he forgot his ball. 
And I was like, oh, that's too bad. So, oh well, you know. And we, after we were talking for a little bit, then Faust went into, went to school. And then on my way home, I was like, oh, Faust really likes that ball. And I love Faust. So let me do something for him. So I went home, I got the ball and I brought it back and I told him that I had it. And anyways, as as I was giving him the ball, he's like, wow, thanks mom, you're the best. And then of course I felt awesome, right? for doing that for him because he could see that I showed some love to him. As he asked the boys to get out of the car, I'm always like, I love you, you know. And there's lots of things that I do for the boys and there's lots of things that dad does for you guys and for Flora too, especially. <laughs> but it is rare when we get the, thanks, you're awesome comments um, and shows of gratitude because, you know, I think being a parent is kind of a thankless job. But when we can do those simple things that we know that our kids love, that shows them in their love language, I guess that we love them and that we really do care about them and what they think and what's important to them is important to us. And so that's why I did that because that was important to him and so he's important to me. And so in turn, that's important to me too. And so anyway, it was awesome. And then this morning, guess what our scripture was of the day? It was that scripture. It was, it was First um, John chapter 3, verse 18. My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And so I was able to tell Faust that when we show love, we need to show love in our actions, not just our words. And I gave him that example of what I had done yesterday and how the Spirit prompted me to go get it for him. And then he was able to feel that love and not just hear the love word from my mouth, but actually, but actually see it in action. Right. And so then as we're, he's getting out of the car, he's like, he's like, okay, I love you. And I said, or I said, I love you. And he's like, I love you. And I'll try to find a way to show you. <laughs> and I, and I think sometimes when immediately when he said that, I was like, oh, he doesn't have to try too hard. You know, it's actually really easy to show each other that we love each other. And so I told him, I was like, remember, it doesn't have to be so, so crazy, so big. I said, you can, you can show people you love them just by being kind and nice. And sometimes we think that action means like big action, but sometimes this just showing love to others in how kind we are is the most simple action we can do and will bless us the most in just being kind like wouldn't that have been nice 
if Cain would have just been like, whoa, you made an awesome sacrifice, bro. Uh, can you show me how to do that? Because apparently I think this is awesome, but the Lord doesn't really like that so much. So can you show me how to do that? What kind of relationship would that have been, right? Just kindness. Right? Like, just being kind is good enough action to show that we love our brothers and sisters. Just being kind. So, yeah, there's lots of things you can do for people. But being kind, I think, is the number one thing that the Lord wants from us. Okay, the shoe threw up, so we got to pause. We're on First John chapter 3, verse 21, page 4. Okay, we're back. Guess what? I have lost my AirPods again. So this is how we're going to be recording, sadly, for everyone else. Okay, so we're on John three twenty one. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him, because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. And he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him, and he in him. And there, hereby we know that he abideth in us by the spirit which he hath given us. Okay, so as we raise our children and seek to prepare them for their future... Let's take these verses as our guide. The ultimate moment we should be preparing our children for is when they will one day stand before God. If we want them to have confidence toward God in that moment, John tells us how to do that. This entire chapter is weaving the importance and relationship of one, obedience to the commandments, and two, loving others with the kind of love where they would lay down their lives. When we keep the commandments, we will receive answers to our prayers. And what are the commandments? Believing on Christ and loving others, which summarizes all the commandments. In fact, if you are a parent of teens, it would be interesting experience to pull out for the Strength of Youth pamphlet and review each section with them. Help them identify how each section helps them love and lift others. Identify common stumbling blocks of our day and how to be a teenager while remaining in the light and fellowship with God. Ooh, that is a good idea. We need to get one out. Pull one out. And um, yesterday, or when yesterday or previous, earlier in the recording, <laughs> it's kind of hard to say. Um, I was saying how it would have been awesome for Cain and Abel to just, you know, love each other, and for Cain to ask Abel you know, for help on creating, you know, a sacrifice that the Lord would be proud of. And sometimes we think that people need to give us that validation for what we're doing um, just because we're doing it. But not, but just because we're doing it doesn't mean that it's a good thing. And so maybe the Lord already knew that Cain could make that 
um, that offering that he was giving. And maybe what the Lord was trying to do was see if Cain would stretch himself to create a different offering for the Lord. And, you know, obviously I don't know what was in Cain's heart and things like that. Obviously the adversary was um, tricking him big time. But that's just something I was thinking about all day. Um, and I was like, man, it just would have changed the whole course of everything if he wouldn't have done that, you know? And would have just chosen to be kind instead. And that's, that's what we can do. We can choose to be kind. Okay. So now we're on First John chapter 4. And it says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. So believe not every spirit or spiritual influences, or I would add like whispers, okay? But try the spirits, whether they are of God. So test them out, you know? If you're feeling like you are getting a prompting to do something, test it out. See if it's of God. And um, sometimes the way we try them is by doing them and we fail. And then we can see that that was not of God. <laughs> and sometimes we can maybe ask other people for their experiences with similar things and see what they think. Sometimes we need to just move forward with something and, f and then the Lord will correct our path. Um, but you got to remember, wh like, what are those things that you're doing? Because in the previous chapter, it says, whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. If we're not doing those things that are pleasing in his sight or not keeping the commandments, then what spirit are we going to end up believing? So, um, and then it says, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. And so we have to remember, where are we getting our information? Where are we getting our inspiration? Where are we looking for that, um, for the validation of what we're doing is good or not. Okay, so seek the source or figure out where the source is coming from um, for those spiritual influences and try them out is what he says. Hereby, okay, verse two, hereby know ye the spirit of God, every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the fleshes of God and every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of antichrist whereof ye have heard that it should come and even now already is it in the world ye are of god little children and have overcome them because greater is he that is in you that he that is in the world okay and i love this statement in um percy jackson i think anyways somebody says to one of them that you have a God in you. And I love that statement because it's exactly what we have in us too. And this is what he's saying. And, and that's what John's saying. He said, ye are of God and little children. 
or ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them. We've overcome Antichrist because greater is he that is in us, so God being in us, than that he that is in the world. See? Isn't that awesome? Okay, and then verse 5, they are of the world, therefore speak thy speak they of the world and the world heareth them we are of god he that knoweth god heareth us he that is not of god heareth not us hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error so because we are of god we can know the difference between good and evil right between things that are going to bring us closer to christ or things that are going to take us away and then he's uh Verse 7, Behold, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God. He that loveth not, knoweth not God, for God is love. See? It's all about loving our neighbors, loving our family, loving love, 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 love. And we learn that not just through saying the word love, but through our actions. And the most simplest action that we can do that doesn't really require a whole bunch of us or a bunch of money is just to be kind. That's where we can start. Okay. And Reddit hostess says, John was witnessing the spreading apostasy and it came in many forms. One of these forms came through antichrist who were teaching that Jesus had not really come in the flesh. The verses one to six, John refutes those claims and tells them to try those influences, test them, discern if they are true sources or not. The spirit will testify to you. Those who have the spirit dwelling in them will be able to overcome the antichrist. Those who are of the world will speak as the world and be heard of them. They will be received by others in spiritual darkness and not receive the treatment of man of a man of Christ will receive. Those that are of God are heard and received by others who know God. John then gives us the call to love one another. Beloved, let us love one another, meaning those who are loved should also love. Because we are loved, we should love. Then John says the love of God. If we claim to be of God or born of God, we must love. Then John says, everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. The word used for knoweth means to gain a knowledge by experience. Oh, and of course, we've all felt that love of God, right? And sometimes it's harder to remember if we don't write it down. But there's those experiences that you've had in your life that really help you know Without a doubt, you're like, God loves me because of this happened or because I see this, I know that God loves me. And there's evidences all around us. And coming to truly know God is inseparably connected with our love for others. The word for love here is agape, which is used to capture the fatherly love of God. It is the highest form of love. It is a sacrificial love. It is a love focused on the immortality and eternal life of man. It is charity. In contrast, those who love loveth not, knoweth not God, for God is love. Those who are of the world and have not come to know God through experience will not consistently show his kind of love. So this does not mean that they will not ever show or feel love, but John is talking about agape, kind of love that is focused on the eternal well-being of every single person. And you guys remember that we say hurt people hurt people yeah well the hurt people aren't feeling god's love for them and so then they're hurting others and so 
I'm not saying it's right or justified because they don't feel love. Obviously, everyone needs to be kind. But that is the barrier that they're trying to overcome in order to be kind. So they have that, they have that barrier that they're not feeling God's love. Or, and so they're not able to show it. So it's, it's kind of complicated um, for those people. I mean, it's not because we know what it is. We can see that, but it's complicated for them to understand, right? There's one, uh, there's a friend, one of those friend, uh, cartoon videos on YouTube. They're so cute. And there was several of them. And one of them is with like this little girl and this bully. And he says bad words and he loves saying bad words to her because it bugs her and guys love teasing a ton especially the bullies and so he's teasing her on the bus and everything and anyway finally her she tells her grandma about this guy being mean and she's so sad and she tells him that she doesn't like the words but he keeps saying them and then um at the end of the video you see her having headphones on and now all the guy's words don't matter because she can't hear them so it's great right but I love that they took it one step further and she invited that bully to come sit with her and listen to the music that she was listening to now that is brotherly kindness and that is showing God's love and that is going to help that bully break down those walls to be able to feel God's love through her and in turn be able to reciprocate God's love in towards other people because of the kindness of one person. And I love, I just love that example because it's true. Sometimes even though those people hurt us, um, they just want to be shown the love of God. They just need to see that, witness it. And sometimes remember it's easier to love those who love us, but it's so much harder to love those who don't love us and that's why I think it's a commandment because if it wasn't a com if it was easy it wouldn't be a commandment okay <clears throat> um, President Dieter Effeldorf says God is love the closer we approach him the more profoundly we experience love end quote and I think something that helps me feel God's love is reading the scriptures and, and what's interesting is that's something I control not, not something somebody else controls and so, and it also not something somebody else does for me. It's something I do, something I control, and something that I feel when I read the scriptures. And so, for me, it is something that is important. I want to choose to feel God's love. I'm not waiting for it to happen through another person. And so, that is why I'm able to share that love. Remember, I talked about our our buckets, our wells being full. Well, we can fill our buckets without anyone else's help, but simply relying on Jesus Christ and his, um, his words and in the scriptures and through prophets. That is how we can fill our buckets. We don't have to wait for someone else to fill it, but we can fill it. And I think that's so important for us to learn because if you're just waiting around for somebody to show you God's love, you might be waiting around for a long time because we're all human. 
And so that's another reason why it's so important for us to teach our children where they can get that love that they are seeking, desperately seeking that approval, that love, that um, acknowledgement that they're awesome, right? And that only comes from one place and we control that connection. And it's so amazing that we can control that because nobody, and nobody can take it away, you know? Um, Okay, and then we have verse 9. In this was manifested the love of God towards us because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man hath seen God at any time except them who believe. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. Hereby know, so hereby means like this is proof, know that we will, that we dwell in him and he in us because he hath given us of his spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him and he in God. Okay, so we're now going to read some commentary. God's love is evident by the fact that he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, meaning an atoning sacrifice for our sins. That is agape love. That is evident in how much we are loved. John then again repeats the phrase beloved or those who are loved. If God is, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. Notice the Joseph Smith translation for verse 12 changes the verse to say that no man hath seen God at any time to no man hath seen God at any time except them who believe. This is not the only place this clarification is made. See also Exodus 33, 20 and John 1, 18. The Joseph Smith translation corrects the teachings to clarify that sinful men cannot see God, but does not say that righteous men cannot. And here John is saying that righteous men can see God if we love one another and his love is perfected in us. That is how important loving others is. If we want to know that we are on the right track, verse 13 gives us the proof because he hath given us his spirit. The presence of the Holy Ghost is the affirmation that we are living as we should or as best we could. And I love that. Um, and, and Elder Bednar continues to tell us that we are living in revelation that we are living in it and sometimes we're waiting for some big thing to happen but when we're living in it we're just it, it doesn't matter if that revelation or that inspiration sometimes we get caught up in who's this revelation coming from is it coming from me is it coming from the lord is it coming from uh somebody else you know but he says if it's good and it is love and it moves you towards christ then it's then it doesn't matter who it's from. It's it's just good, and it'll bring you closer to Christ. And um, because we are living in that revelation, we don't need to wait for like this aha, like giant thing to tell us what to do on our day to day 
decisions. And, and I love that. And you can look up Elder Bednar's uh, different talks, but he just talks about it a lot. I've heard a lot of Q&As with him. Um, in fact, one of the Q&As was one just recently, and I think it was a devotional to Ensign College. Uh, and this is just a recent one. Um, in 2023, so this year, in January 30, on January 31st. But he talked about that revelation thing again. And I listened to it just recently. So that's why I was like, oh, I'll put that reference here. And again, it was Enzyme College, um, where Elder Bednar had a Q&A. So just, you can look that up. It's on YouTube. All right, we're going to pause there. And it, 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 we're on First John chapter 4, page 5. All right, First John chapter 4, verse 16. And we know and believe the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may be, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because he is so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar, for he hath, for he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also okay so i wasn't sure if we had read that already but hey it's always good to read scriptures so i was just jumping in here on page five okay so a true christian will confess that jesus is the christ and will have known experienced god's love for themselves this is how we can stand before god with confidence we perfect our love and this is how we become as he is it's impossible for fear and love in its fullness to exist together. I love that they mention in its fullness because there it is possible for fear and love to exist together, but not in its fullness. For example, if we are filled with perfect love, we will not fear what man can do to us. There are lists of prophets and saints who are examples of this. Paul, for example, he was governed by love, so his mouth could not be shut Regarding, or regardless of the dangers that were constantly at his door, his perfect love cast out the fear. How can this apply to us? If you're nervous to give a talk in sacrament meeting, pray to have those who will be sitting in the congregation. Or pray to love those who will be sitting in the congregation. Pray for that love until your urgency to deliver the message overshadows the fear of speaking. If you are afraid to reach out to a family who has stopped going to church, pray for a more perfect love for them. Then it will stop being about your fear and more about that family and your fear will be cast out. This is how we can become as he is. We become governed by love instead of fear. Okay, so I have some thoughts about this. Now, I believe that just because you are scared of doing something or you have that fear of doing something I think that you can have um, both exist because 
sometimes we have fear of doing things, but because we love God and because he first loved us, then we choose to overshadow that fear with that love and do things scared anyway. We do things even though we're feeling fear or even though we're feeling anxious about something and you just go and do it. Like, I think there's a misconception that you have to wait until you're so comfortable with something before you can do it. And I think that this redheaded hostess explanation makes it seem that way. Um, but it's true that if fear and love can, in its fullness cannot exist together, but can totally coexist, not in its fullness. Like I can have 50% fear and 50% love, right? Because the adversary is filling me with all of these thoughts and ideas and whispers. And yeah, I'm not always perfect at fighting them off. So there's gonna, so it's going to exist there, even though I love God and want to do the things that he wants me to do. And so I wonder if what I'm saying makes sense. There's the scriptures tell us that all these things, you know, if you are prepared, you shall not fear if, and then all, all the other things about fear and, you know, faith, um, casteth out fear or love casteth out fear. And it's true. If we can have that fullness all the time of that faith and of that love and preparedness, then we won't fear, but we're not perfect at that. And so it's going to exist with us when we're doing those hard things. So don't think that just because the scriptures say the perfect formula or the exact thing and that you can't do it until you have reached that full uh, love and then, you know, and then you're able to do it. Like if someone asks you to give a talk, for example, I wig out all the time when I need to give a talk. In fact, today is Fast and Testimony Sunday. I'm already wigging out about going up there <laughs> and sharing my testimony because I do every Sunday or every Fast Sunday. And I love to testify of Jesus Christ, but I still get nervous and I love Jesus Christ more than Satan and more than anything else, you know. But yet I still have that fear in the back of my mind or in the back of the pit of my stomach or whatever. And so it's going to exist at the same time. And now maybe, maybe what they're saying is once you go do it, the fear is gone or something or like, I think it, I think it should be more of like love overcomes fear or love can squash out the fear or something like that because yeah I can still do it because of the love that I have for Jesus Christ but that doesn't mean that I'm not nervous and that I'm not scared or that I'm not worried or about something you know so 
Anyway, don't wait until you feel super comfortable about it. Like the only way that you're going to get comfortable in doing something is to keep doing it. Even though you're feeling that fear, even though you're feeling that reluctance, even though you have that um, nervousness or um, anxiety about doing something, do it anyway. Okay, do it scared. <laughs> I saw yesterday there was a sign at the Battle Creek Boutique where I was selling stuff, and it said. Courage is being scared to death and saddling up anyways. And I thought that was so cool because it's important for us to know that we are going to have that fear. It is going to come. So that's, Satan is going to feed us that fear all the time. But in order to fight that back, you just have to go ahead and do it. That's why the scripture exists that you can do all things through Christ who strengthens us, right? Like if we didn't need uh, courage, if we didn't need that kind of, uh, if we didn't need to overcome fear, we wouldn't have that scripture. You know what I mean? Um, and so I think it's, I think it's interesting that they try to make it seem like you're not scared when you're doing things that are hard uh, because it, I think it's going to exist always. Um, here's another quote. Courage is what it takes to stand up and speak. Courage is also what it takes to sit down and listen. It takes courage for both, right? And then courage is found in unlikely places like within you, totally unlikely because you know you're feeling fear. So how can you find courage? right? But we have a God in us. We talked about that. And that's where that courage can come from, right? From where God has implanted his light in us. And so we can take courage in knowing that we are part of Heavenly Father. And so we can take his, um, we know that he has a bunch of courage. So we can take, you can, we can use that, um, and then you will never do anything in this world without courage. It is the greatest quality of the mind next to honor. And this one, he who is not courageous enough to take risks will accomplish nothing in life. Isn't that true? Right? And then Mark Twain, courage is resistance to fear, mastery of fear, not absence of fear. And I really like that because it is not that it's not going to be there. It's like, it's like trying to wait for Satan to, to be gone before you can do stuff. Like that's never going to happen. We're just going to sit around and do nothing. Um, okay. So those are, those are those things. Oh, and here's the, here's another quote for the being consistent or doing things multiple times in order to overcome that fear is from Dale Carnegie and he says inaction breeds doubt and fear action breeds confidence and courage if you want to conquer fear do not sit home and think about it go out and get busy and it's true you're not going to be able to wait for that love to overpower your fear of speaking completely 
but you can get, you can have courage in Christ and overcome it enough to get up and speak. Does that make sense? And the more you do it, the more you'll overcome that fear. And the more those whispers will become silenced. And the more uh, data you'll have against Satan about your speaking. Does that make sense? I hope this makes sense. The more data we have against, uh, the more data we have for us and against Satan, the more confidence we can have. For example, the more speaking we can do and know that we're not going to die <laughs> um, or I should say public speaking and know that we're not going to die the more we can combat those fears because through Christ we can we can do anything um, and when those fears come up we have that data that we can throw back at him and now there's another level of that data where you want to continuously, um, if it's something that you're constantly working at to overcome a specific fear, you can post up pictures and quotes and things that can help strengthen you around this so that you are not um, overcome by that fear, but you can remember the times that you did practice this and the times where the Lord has helped you and you can put that together and that can combat that fear even more that um combat the the adversary trying to make you feel that fear so anyways okay um okay and then notice the formula in verse 19 we love him because he first loved us god loved us first and gave us all that we have and now our hearts overflow with love for him this is the same pattern for how we are to love others we love them first we don't we do not we, didn't, we do all we can for them, then they will likely love us back. What parent would not understand these verses? If a person were to say, I love you, but I hate your children, how would you feel about their love? Could they possibly show you enough love to cancel out the damage and hurt they bring to your child? So it is with God. If we want to stand in confidence before him, then we must love all of his children. Mm. I like that. And sometimes, and it's going to take courage to love some people. And it's going to take the Lord's help to love some people. But I think that's the whole point of us being here on earth. Is to love, or is to learn to use the love that Jesus Christ has. And his atonement for us. For other people. For us to be able to love those around us. And by love I mean also overcoming those tendencies to lash out or react and instead find ways and tactics to just act instead of react in our um, day-to-day lives and that definitely takes courage and takes um, the atonement of Jesus Christ to enable us to be able to do those things and where do we get that power where do we get that power we can access that power even more readily through the temple and our temple covenants. And if you have a temple near you, you have access to this power even more. So go there often because one day we won't have that so close to us, you know, because maybe we decide to move somewhere else. And 
then we'll wish that we would have went even more often. I remember during COVID, I was so grateful, like, because during COVID, you could not go to any temples. They were all closed. I remember that I was so grateful that I had done the 60-day temple challenge the previous year and that just before it shut down, I had been going like three to two to three times a week, maybe four times a week. And it was just awesome. And then, boom, the temple shut down because of COVID. And it was so crazy. And the only thing that I could keep, um, the only thing that would keep me afloat was the fact that I knew that I had as much power reserved in me to keep me going for as long as I needed it to keep me going. And so grateful and blessed that it finally opened up again. <laughs> okay. Um, now we're on John first John chapter five, whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God and everyone that loveth him that begat loveth him also that is begotten of him. Okay. So we're talking about Jesus Christ and his brethren. So if you believe in and love Jesus Christ, then you can also love other Christians. And by this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous or harsh and heavy. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. So faith in Christ helps us overcome the world. Hello. Yes. Okay, verse 5. Who is he that overcometh the world, but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God? So where our faith must be centered is in Jesus Christ. This is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit that beareth witness, because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one, and there are three that bear witness of the earth, the Spirit, and the water, and the blood. And these three agree in one. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which he hath testified of his son. So the elements of, of being born and born again are what we are getting spelled out over here. Okay. 10. He that believeth on the son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar because he believeth not the record that God gave of his son. So, um, there's those who don't believe in Jesus Christ and sadly they don't have that same testimony that someone else can have who knows that Jesus Christ is the son of God and that we can overcome all things through Christ. And when we don't believe that. It is to our detriment. It is, we're going to fail in life is basically what that's going to come down to. Okay. And then verse 11, and this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life. And his, and this life is in his son. He that hath the son hath life. And he that hath not the son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you 
that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. Okay, so. So this is the last chapter in First John. Okay, so the principle here is the elements of being born again. So John begins to wrap up this letter, his letter, and David Behate uses verses 1 to 3 to give this simple plea. This is what can define us as Christians. His, quote, his plea to all is to love God, love his children, keep his commandments, and believe that Jesus is the Christ born of God, end quote. Elder David B. Haight, October 1981, General Conference. So those who are born of God are those who have overcome the world. And I would say, I, wouldn't, I don't know if I would put it that way. I would say that those who are born of God are those who are striving to overcome the world, right? John points out three elements that are present in our physical and spiritual births. In a physical birth, the spirit enters the physical body and the child is immersed in water in the mother's womb and then comes forth through her blood into the world. In a spiritual birth, spiritual birth, the individual is immersed in water, the soul is cleansed by the Holy Ghost and bears witness and it is all possible through the blood atonement of Jesus Christ. Verse 9 is a reminder of the power of the Holy Ghost. Although we should bear witness to one another, we cannot spiritually survive on borrowed light and must receive witnesses for ourselves. That witness comes through a member of the Godhead, the Holy Ghost, who is able to communicate with our spirits in a way that leaves a real witness. Then, if we reject that witness, John says that we make God a liar because we do not believe the witness or the record that he has given us. President Joseph Fielding Smith explained it like this. Therefore, the seeing, even the Savior, does not leave as deep an impression in the mind as does the testimony of the Holy Ghost and the Spirit. The impressions on the soul that come from the Holy Ghost are far more significant than a vision. It is where Spirit speaks to Spirit and the imprint upon the soul is far more difficult to erase. End quote. And it's so... It's so true because how many examples do we have in the Book of Mormon for those who have seen an angel, okay, Nephi's brothers come to mind, and yet they still don't believe. I mean, it was good enough to last for like a couple days, it felt like, you know, when you're reading the Book of Mormon. Um, and then it wasn't enough because they weren't converted through the Holy Ghost. So I think... It's important for us to remember when we're like wishing that we could see a vision so that our testimony will be strengthened, right? Don't wait for that because time and time again, it has been shown that just because you see an angel doesn't mean you're going to be converted for the rest of your life, but that the Holy Ghost can do this job and can help to keep you converted far longer than a, an actual vision of an angel. Okay, in verse uh, 13 and 15, John closes his letter with a message to ask of God to petition him and he will hear you. Okay, 
And then notice what President Boyd K. Packer once taught. He says, no message appears in scripture more times in more ways than ask and ye shall receive, end quote. And that was October 1991 General Conference. So, yeah, okay, so I read up to verse 14, and so here's this verse 15. And if we know that he hear us whatsoever we ask, we know that he have the petitions that we desire of him. If any man see his brother sin, a sin which is not unto death, he shall ask and he shall give him life for them that sin not unto death. There is a sin unto death. I do not say that he shall pray for it. We should pray for others. All unrighteous sin, now all unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin not unto death. Okay, now verse 18 has a Joseph Smith translation, so I'm going to see if I can read it with it. We know that whosoever is born of God continueth not in sin, but he that is begotten of God and keepeth himself and that wicked one overcometh him not. Okay. I think that made sense. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. And we know that we are of God and that the whole world lieth in wickedness. And we know that the Son of God is come and hath given us an understanding that we may know him that is true. And we are in him that is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. Okay. And then this last bit here says, when petitioning to God, we can also pray for the spiritual well-being of others who are in sin or who are sinning sins, not unto death. Scholars have different opinions on what the sin in verse 16 is referring to, but the agreed upon idea is that we can be actively praying for those who are in the midst of sin. And sometimes I think, this is me chiming in, sometimes I think we are... Uh, segregating those who are sinning differently than us in different ways and think that we are better than them because we're not sinning in the way that they are sinning. And I think we need to remember that we are literally all sinning all the time. 100% of us are sinning. <laughs> like the stats... 100% of everyone on the planet sins. Like there's a stat you can know for sure. 100% of us are not perfect. And so if we can remember that we're not just praying for those who are sinning, you know, per se, like, oh, that person over there's smoking. He's such a smoker. I can't believe it. And he comes to church and he smells like smoke. I hope he can stop smoking so I don't have to put up with that smoke. So I'm going to pray that he can stop smoking. Now, <laughs> I feel like that's super judgy of that person. Okay. And like, remember what President Uchtdorf said? He said, he read a bumper sticker and he said, don't judge me because I sin differently than you. And it's true. We all sin differently. And some of us sin, uh, some of our sins are openly like obvious and some of our sins are not. And so I think it's important to know that we are to um, 
we are to have, we are to pray for everyone. And we can definitely pray for that person who is smoking and, but not because we don't want that cigarette smoke to be in our chapel or to make us smell like cigarette smoke, but so, but because that's something that they would want us to pray for them for, right? Like, did you ever talk to that person? Like, are you segregating yourself away from this person because of that smoke? Like we just got finished saying love everyone, right? And loving is like the number one thing we need to be doing. And if you're sitting there judging people and praying for everybody to not sin because you're so perfect, then that's not going to happen. That's not it. That's not the one. That's, you're missing the mark. And so this is where you see that person who's struggling with cigarette smoke and you go, her cigarette, you know, smoking, you go and you talk to them and you see how they're doing and you get to be their friend and, and you can then ask them, hey, what can I pray for you? Like, how can I pray for you? How can, and that, and then when that person tells you, you know what, I'm struggling trying to overcome this smoking habit that I have, will you pray for me? That is when you start praying for that person. Because then it's out of love. Now, there's those instances where parents will pray for their kids because they know that their kids are sinning, right? Now, parents, everybody sins. Remember that. But at the same time, you can do the same thing with your kids, right? Like, how can I help you? How can I pray for you this week, you know? I'm just talking to myself here because I know that I'm going to be one of those parents who's like... Can't believe my kids sinned. I'm gonna need to go pray for them and do my own personal prayer because it's gonna benefit me for them to get better because then it makes me look better, right? Like, what is the what is the outcome that you're looking for? Is it selfish or is it genuinely for them? So there you go. That's my like little tidbit. And then the last words that John says is keep yourselves from idols means to guard yourselves, be on your guard, protecting yourself from anything that draws your attention and heart away from God. Be mindful of those things. Um, when you wake up, what are those things? How could, how could you describe your, your day? If, if you were to describe your day and to make it go as best as you could, how would you do it? And then where are those places that you're getting distracted and um, identify those? And then you can ask for people to pray for you there too, because that is also a sin when you're being distracted from your, from your righteous goals, right? Okay, so that is the end of First John. And Second John chapter 1. And Second John chapter 1 only has 13 verses, which has got to be, like, amazing. Kate, the elder unto the elect lady and her children, whom I love in the truth, and not I only, but also all they that have known the truth. For the truth's sake, which dwelleth in us, and, and shall be with us forever. Grace be with you, mercy and peace from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. 
I rejoice greatly that I found of thy children walking in truth as we have received a commandment from the Father. And now I beseech thee, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment unto thee, but that which we had from the beginning, that we love one another. Now, not sure who he's specifically writing to here, because he says something like the elder unto the elect lady and her children. So maybe it's his family, or maybe it's like a specific uh, church or something. Um, let me say, and verse six, and this is love that we walk after his commandments. This is the commandment that as ye have heard from the beginning, ye should walk in it. For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house. Neither bid him God speak. Okay, so for the 11, for he that biddeth him God speak is partaker of his evil deed, of his evil deeds. Oh no, I'm pretty sure I said God speak to somebody, a couple peeps even, and they're like, sure thing, you know. Um, but in a good way. But what's he saying? Okay. Uh, for he that biddeth him Godspeed is partaker of his evil deeds. Oh, means like, okay, so if there come any unto you and bring not the do this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed. Like, don't tell somebody who's trying to deceive you Godspeed, because that means God prospers for you, because that's like words of encouragement. But... Um, and then because he that biddeth that person Godspeed is also partaking of his evil deeds. So they're just kind of saying, don't, don't wish people like success when they're not doing something they need to be doing or something. And they're doing something like that. It's not a good choice, right? Uh, don't encourage bad choices. <laughs> okay. For... 11 uh, or 12 having many things to write up unto you i would not write with paper and ink but i trust to come unto you and speak face to face that our joy may be full the children of thy elect sister greet thee amen okay so the principle here is to be on guard so there are two prevailing opinions on whom john is writing to the first is that he was writing to his family and another that he was writing to the church. Elder Bruce Armerconky suggests that this is a glimpse into his private life and love for his family. It is unclear when and where this epistle was written, but many scholars believe it was sometime between 80, 70, and 100, which is also suggested by the New Testament seminary teacher manual. So this means the church has fallen deeper and deeper into apostasy, and John had witnessed and mourned the deaths of many of his fellow apostles, including his brother James, who died by sword in A.D. 44, Paul and Peter, who died in A.D. 64, and of course, 
the death of Jesus Christ, which John witnessed. And after all that John was, has witnessed and seen, should we not pay special attention to his statement in verse 6? And this is love, that we walk after his commandments. There are many deceivers in the world. But if you love Christ, then keep his commandments. In verse 8, he advises them to look to yourselves, which counsels them to be on their guard. Pay attention. I think look to yourselves means uh, protect each other too. Like look after yourselves, you know. Don't let yourself fall prey to these deceivers. Um, and I think that's kind of a cool uh, thing to think about that he's trying to tell us to look after each other, you know, because if he's talking to his family or if he's talking to the church, it doesn't matter. But the fact that he says, look to yourselves, I don't think it means like look at yourself, but look to yourselves, like look at each other, uh, look after each other. Um, and then don't let yourselves fall prey to these deceivers that we lose not those things we have wrought or gained, but that we receive a full reward or eternal life. If this is the letter to his family, what excellent advice this is from the family patriarch. Look at to yourselves or be on constant guard, right? Um, in verse 9, John mentions the doctrine of Christ. Doctrines are eternal unchanging truth and that is what Christ teaches us when we live in op opposition to those doctrines then we are in sin or transgression when people teach in opposition to those doctrines they become antichrist or deceivers John warns against doing anything that invites these deceivers into your lives if you deem them a threat be cautious Ooh, like put up boundaries for sure neither bid them god speak which is a word of encouragement right okay now we're on john third john okay the elder unto the well-beloved gaius whom i love in truth in the truth beloved i wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health even as thy soul prospereth for i rejoice greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee even as thou walkest in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Isn't that true? Beloved, thou doest faithfully whatsoever thou doest to the brethren and to strangers, which have borne witness of thy charity before the church, whom if thou bring forward on their journey after a goodly, godly sort, thou shalt do well. Because that for his name's sake they went forth, taking nothing of the Gentiles. We therefore ought to receive such, that we might be fellowshipper, fellow helpers to the truth. I wrote unto the church to, but Diotrephes, Diotrephes, who loved to have the preminiscence among them, received us not. Wherefore, if I come, I will remember his deeds, which he doeth prating against us with malice, malicious words, and not content. Therewith neither doth he, he himself receive the brethren, and forbiddeth them that would, and cast, casteth them out of the church. So apostasy within the church. <clears throat> Beloved, follow not that which is evil, but that which is good. He that doeth good is of God, but he that doeth evil 
hath not seen God. Demetrius hath good report of all men and the truth itself, yea, and we also bear record. And ye know that our record is true. I have many things to write, but I will not with ink and pen write unto thee. But I trust I shall shortly see thee, and we shall speak face to face. Peace be to thee. Our friends salute thee. Greet the friends by name. Hmm. That's important. I think we do need to greet our friends by name. Okay, so we do not know who Gaius is. All we can tell is that he or she is loved by John and is an extraordinarily faithful person who is full of charity. Some suggest that Gaius is John's wife. Others suggest that Gaius is a son and others believe that Gaius is a convert of John's. Either way, verse four has been quoted many times in general conference to teach how much joy it brings to parents when their children walk in truth. For example, when Elder D. Todd Christofferson recently said, quote, remember the yearning hope of a father as expressed by John. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Your righteousness is the greatest honor any father can receive, end quote. And that's Elder D. Todd Christofferson, April 2016, General Conference. Then verses nine to 10, here we learn how deeply the church had fallen into apostasy. A leader over one of the Christian churches named Diotrephes had rejected the apostles. He did not even allow the member of the first presidency to give instruction to the Christians there. Instead, Diotrephes prated or talked foolishly at length against them and cast them out of the church. So he's a bully and we know very little about Diotrephes. Theotrophies, but in verse 9, we learn that he loveth to have the preeminence among them. His heart was on his own personal glory and being elevated above the others in the church. That is the irony for, as Elder McConkie explained, and except for the recording of his name here on the role of the infamous, who has ever since heard of him or his, or his cause. End quote. So the glory he was searching after, if it ever came, did not last. Now, he is only listed here as a stumbling block. Yeah, that's not how I want to go down in history. There is, so then verses 11 to 14, there is nothing new here that we haven't heard from John in previous epistles. But what we can peek into are the relationship, relationships and the fellowship that existed and was so important. For these great men, they who were dedicating their lives to building God's kingdom had suffered. They had boldly stood in defense time and time again, having their circle of support who have been so important or would have been so important. Okay, so that's the end of the Johns. John, John, John. Um, and so thanks for being here. And I'm going to record Jude separately so that it is a nice short episode for you. I love you and we'll see you in Jude. Oh, and funny that we have Jude in our family. <laughs>